What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the PropG Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of PropG Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The 30 Podcast. Here's your host, Jazz Kang. All right, what's up, y'all? We're going to start doing this again, hopefully, every Wednesday for you coming up uh, in the new year. The Sixers looking pretty damn good as of late, 116 out of their last 20. We'll jump into that. Joining me, like they hopefully will be doing every Wednesday, Jackson Paul, right? We'll start off with you, Mr. Paul Hedrick. How's everything going for you? It's going, man. These West Coast games are not very fun for me, uh, as I'm talking to two West Coast guys um, <laughs> who are probably like, yes, this is great. Um, no, uh, yeah, but other, uh, you know, it is a little bit difficult to juggle that with a with a uh, I'll, I'll do the, the the total parent thing with the 14, with the 13 month old <laughs> running around. It's a little tough um, and literally running around because he's starting to walk. But yeah, so that, that's been a little bit of a tricky thing to juggle. But it's been at least the Sixers are providing entertaining basketball, so that's so there's that, and um, I'm I'm super pumped. Uh, I think we Liberty Ballers has been, I mean, it was always great, but now we, I feel like everyone's really stepped up over the last couple of months, and uh, we're putting out some really great content. So I'm very very happy about all that. Yeah, and one of the guys who's behind the great content we do, Mr. Jackson Frank. Jackson, are you going to be at the uh, Sixers Portland game coming up <laughs> tomorrow? Uh, I should be. I'm, I'm still waiting to get my credential confirmed, but I should be there. Um, oh, talk to me. Talk talk to me off the uh, line, Jackson. Seriously. I, I, yeah, okay, I um, but uh, yeah, I, I feel like, you know, what, maybe third or fourth year doing Liberty Baller, Liberty Baller stuff in a big capacity. And I feel like I'm almost like the like a specialty pitcher when we get to these nine West Coast games I have a year. Yes. Where, where I feel like I can really, you know, tap in and, and make sure some other people can, can go to bed earlier and, and not stay until, you know, one or two. Well, I know it's it, not it, easy for everyone, but. <laughs> it's actually been good being in the arena the last couple of games against the, the Lakers and Clippers because I'm like, there's a huge base of Sixers fans here. Obviously, I mean, I know in the NFL, every time the Eagles play one of the LA teams, it, there's a big contingent of Eagles fans there. But seeing that too with, with the Sixers, and it was kind of weird last night. I did tweet it out. Honestly, the, the arena was like 70% empty, like through the first maybe five That's or six wild. minutes. It was it was crazy. I mean, there was a lot of traffic yesterday, so I think that probably played into it. But it was um, it was definitely kind of a, a weird – there's a big difference, obviously, between going to a Lakers and a, and a Clippers game. But I think you, you see it a lot more. Where at the Clippers games, you got, you got a bigger group of Sixers fans there. And, you know, getting into that game we saw last night, looking at the big picture stuff, Paul, we'll start with you. Uh, as I mentioned, 16-4 and four over the last 20. Uh, the Sixers continue, like I said, their West Coast road trip. Still got a couple of games. They got Portland on Thursday, Sacramento coming up on Saturday. A surprising Sacramento team, um, not just a cupcake anymore on the schedule. But, Paul, uh, you're around the team a lot, like I mentioned, basically at every home game. Go to whenever they have practices, which is once every four months, uh, which is not a bad <laughs> thing, obviously, if you talk to the players. But, um, what's been different with the squad? Obviously, getting James Harden back, and I wrote about this on Liberty Ballers um, early this morning. Is Harden's obviously the, the offense is looking good. Him and Joel look really, really in sync on the on the pick and roll, uh, finding open shooters. A lot different when you have George Niang and DeAnthony Melton there compared to for Con Korkmaz, uh, Matisse Thybul. So I think teams are starting to respect that a little bit more. No disrespect to those guys, but Paul, what do you think has been so different with this team over the last month or so? Well, first we do it. We have to 
credit our our Sixers beat writer with an LA focus, Jazz Gang, for yeah. going to the last few games. <laughs> so that's been great. Um, no, you've, it's been it's been it's been very cool to have someone out there covering for us, and um, so I'm really appreciative of you doing that. It's been awesome. But uh, there's a lot of things. Uh, yeah, of course. Like everything starts and ends with Joel Embiid and James Harden, and both guys have really been. I mean, Joel just continues to ascend and ascend and ascend every single year. It's just a little bit better, adding more and more stuff to his game every year. James Harden is just healthy. I mean, it's 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 funny because I'm sure everyone saw that Kyrie quote that came out about the whole halfway thing, and it's like, I'm sorry, Kyrie, did you not watch him with the Sixers the rest of the year? Like the guy was clearly hurt. Like. It's never been more obvious to me with the difference between, you know, last year when he just wasn't himself and this year he's so much healthier. Like, yeah, like I, I know everyone kind of, you know, pines for the the old Houston Harden days and they're they're gone, but he's still a, a, a really good player now that he is healthy. And you see what him and Joel Embiid are, are, are doing together. And as great as they are, and I wrote this a few weeks ago, like, they every duo or whatever needs time. Like they all need time to figure things out. They're great players. The the other thing I would say too about both those guys, we all know how smart James Harden is. You know, arguably, you know, one of the greatest, maybe even the greatest pick and roll basketball player ever. Um, and you have Joel Embiid. I, I think sometimes it's underrated how just smart he is, and how like his just like his 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 recall and just the way he adjusts the things. And um, I, I think his 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 brains are, are are maybe underrated, and so when you put those two together, you felt like it was going to be a matter of time with their talent, with their basketball IQ, and with their ability to kind of uh, adapt that they were both going to figure it out, and they really have. And I think what's cool about James Harden is the efficiency, because that's not always, like clearly that's just not always been his trademark. When he was going really well in Houston, there was. A lot of shots taken, and but that was what it was called. That was what, what it was called for. That's what the offense was revolving around him. He's taking a ton of threes, jacking up a ton of shots in general. Uh, you see now the attempts are down, but the percentages are up, which is wonderful. Um, it, that, that's exactly what we want. He's at like 40% from three during this recent stretch. I mean, that's that's and, and he's still taking like we say lower volume, but he's still taking like seven a game, um, and shooting over 40%. That's that's elite, that's an elite mark. So those two again it all starts and ends with those two guys the depth is clearly such such a big factor you know Danthea Melton's been an absolute godsend for this team he's been he's been so good fitting into whatever role they've kind of needed him to I thought last night was actually one of PJ Tucker's better games as a sixer that we've seen so far uh really good defensively on Kawhi I thought a couple you know he hits a couple corner threes a couple couple just very P.J. Tucker-esque plays down the stretch where, you know, going for a loose ball, setting his key screen at a key moment. He had this one play where he dribbled out of the corner and kept a possession alive and collapsed the defense a little bit, and it, it wound up being a wide-open Tobias Harris. Three, like, little things like that that he did um, in, in his time in Miami, they're, like, starting to creep in a little bit. Uh, obviously, and Jackson, I know you wrote about it before they even signed him, and, and you were pretty spot on with, you know, the offensive regression that you were expecting. But it's been, like, a crater um, to start the year, I don't think anyone expected it to be quite this uh, this drastic. But I think now he might start, hopefully, finding that happy medium. But defensively, and then also just doing again those PJ Tucker things, finding those loose balls, setting the perfect ball screen at the perfect time. Um, you know, just good connective passer, like all those little things. I, I think he's bringing more to the table. And, and I, 
the last thing I would say, and it ties into PJ as well, is just there is a maturity and an accountability to this team that I don't think has been there in the past. And I think that's the noticeable thing from being around this team all the time is guys aren't afraid to call each other out there. And it's behind, you know, to each other's face. They're not afraid to say like, yo, you, you need to be here. You need to be there. Like they're much more vocal and uh, communicative than they've ever been. And I think PJ is a huge part of that. I think too, PJ being the way he is like being a little bit more of like a, you know, being extremely vocal and just being a guy that's not afraid to, you know, tell a guy, call a guy out when he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. I think that helps Joel Embiid and James Harden because they're not necessarily those guys. So to have a player that has the cachet that that PJ has from winning a championship, from being in the league so long, his reputation for being so tough, I think him being able to to kind of do that, and it's trickled down to the entire team. Um, so there's just something there with uh, it's it's all like cliche stuff, but just like an accountability thing that just hasn't been there in the past. And just guys solidifying roles too. Um, like Shake Milton, I think has just been so damn solid. Uh, all even even after as guys have come back, he has just really fit really nicely into his role. But he Stiebel's forced his way into the rotation, and um, just yeah, uh, really good stuff from the team. They're they're I'm sure we're going to get into it. They're an area, many areas they can improve, but um, I think you have to be really encouraged by what you've seen over the last twenty games. Well, it's funny when you watch the Sixers in person and watching PJ Tucker, his shot legitimately is just like this <laughs> laser like dart that just goes straight. You know what I mean? There's no arc on it. And I saw him when he hit they hit the shot. I'm like, what the hell? You know, I was watching the game. I was like, damn, I didn't even know. Like, you can't see that on TV, but I'm with you, Paul. I mean, starting to see these guys come together and obviously getting a chance now to be in the locker room a couple of times after the game, you can see the camaraderie. You can see the chemistry. And I, I mentioned this on the post-game podcast. Vibes. Um Montrez, you know, Trez always comes in with the with the big boombox coming in and, and the hip hop songs rolling. Everybody starts dancing together, but you could see the the difference between them how they how they connect with each other. I think the chemistry is growing, and we talked about this a lot on the podcast network, uh, you know, leading up to the season and early on. That okay, I wouldn't be surprised if they start off ten and ten, you know, eleven and eleven. It's going to take them some time to figure it out. Obviously, you had massive injuries to guys like. Harden and Maxi missing extended time that that's going to impact your record. But now we're seeing them kind of, you know, start to find their, their footing and, and making a charge up the standings or sitting in third in the East. We thought at the time with how good Boston started that maybe even catching the, the, the top seed is going to be difficult. doesn't seem like that anymore. Uh, Jackson hopping over to you. You've talked about this a little bit too on the, on the defensive end, um, seeing a little bit of regression, right? Still, if you, if you look at this team in terms of the underlying numbers, uh, fourth in, in defensive rating, they're still one of the top teams in terms of opponents three point percentage, but you're noticing a bit of a slide. We saw that in that stretch where the Clippers started to take over, not only in, actually in the first quarter, but in the, in the third quarter where the Clippers started to make that run, that there was a lot of slow rotations, a lot of easy buckets, uh, for some of their guys. What do you think has to improve on the defensive end for the Sixers to kind of get the offense and defense? in sync at this point yeah i think and i think last night was probably their best defense performance all they considered in about a month i feel like the slide started with their home win over the clippers i think that was december 23rd just before christmas if i recall um but the big issue as of late you know why they had all these close games or you know some of these losses we include kind of the okc game is they're playing teams with a stretch big and the sixers only have one rim protector in joel Embiid. And they are often p putting Joel on that stretch big, and the point of attack defense isn't good enough to combat that. A lot of it is okay, kind of keep man kind of in front, and then Joel's there to deter things. Where it's like, if you're guarding a Mike Muscala or a Thomas Bryant, um, didn't have as much in the Jazz game, but like you know that sort of thing, 
and they're in Joel spaced out, they're going to get all the way to the rim, right? They're going to feel more in the word all always uses emboldened. You know, they're going to feel more emboldened to get all the way to the rim and stuff like that. So um, that's been a big issue as of late. But then just the wing depth in general isn't great. When you, it was one thing for Joel to be spaced. It's another when like LeBron can just bully over everyone. I know LeBron's somewhat of an outlier, but the general idea stands that like they don't have a lot of strong, versatile wings. I know that's kind of PJ's game, but like against the Jazz, Jordan Clarkson's just too shifty for that. And it felt like, and I like I think Embiid's generally been good defensively. And I think maybe at times I'm overly critical. Maybe that's because like I know how good he can be. And I thought last night was an example, but it felt like in that Jazz game, Clarkson was kind of getting to his spots, and Joel was a a half step late stepping up to, you know, contest a shot or deter a shot, thing like that. I thought they didn't do a good job of kind of know your personnel type stuff. Like Clarkson's a very talented scorer, but if you send late help, you can, you know, force him to tough spot. They didn't double Clarkson a lot beyond like those traps, but like, and then against the Lakers, they're running, you know, guys like Wenyan Gabriel off the run. Russell Westbrook, I think drew two fouls on three pointers in that game. And it's just, it's just stuff like that where it's a combination of like, I don't know necessarily what the coaching staff is scheming. I don't know what the players are seeing. Like, why are you running all the way out on a Wenyan Gabriel three? Why aren't you bringing late help to Jordan Clarkson and things like that? Um, why aren't you putting Tobias Harris on Mike Muscala, you know, on pick and pop? So um, the kind of over the last month, I think the slide is a combination of, uh, you know, Joel missed a few games. I don't think he's been great in every game. Like I said, last night, I thought he was very good on that end. The cohesion hasn't been there necessarily. The game planning seems weird. So I think this team can get to a pretty good spot defensively. Like, I think they're seventh on cleaning the glass and defensive rating. Four through seven or eight is really bunched up. Um, but I do think there are some issues. Like, you kind of, I think that you, to be a really, really good playoff team, it's like you need multiple rim protectors in the rotation. And the Sixers only have one. I know people are going to want to claim it for Paul Reed, and I get that, and I'm not necessarily against it, but Paul Reed does have pretty significant offensive issues that can make things tough. So um, that's the sort of archetype that I'm wondering if they could find something at the deadline. But yeah, just as a combination of things and, you know, kind of what it's always been is maybe an over-reliance on Joel. And, you know, when Joel scoring 38 points a game, it shouldn't all fall on him to, you know, to be a great defense, you know, to hold down a, a very good defense as well. So I thought they were better last night. I thought the rotations were really good. The Clippers aren't a very good passing team. And I know their offensive rate ended up being okay, but I thought they did well. Where they didn't do well against the Jazz is to send that late help and to make those passing reads tough, you know, for a team that doesn't have a lot of good passers. So um, definitely saw some signs of progress. And, you know, they're going to play the Blazers on Thursday. That's a pretty – I think they're a top 10 offense. Been really good as of late. Some prolific scorers in Dame and Anthony Simons and Jeremy Grant. So um, another good test there. Then obviously with the Kings on on – Saturday, which I think are a top five offense. So um, a couple more opportunities against actually good offenses. Cause I think the Clippers are like 28th in offensive rating uh, to see if this is, you know, if is it, if they actually kind of ride in the ship again. So I'm really curious to watch these next games, especially and, and kind of track whether it's, you know, was there, it was Tuesday Mirage or are they actually kind of getting back on the right track when it comes to defense. Paul, I want to ask you this too, like Jackson's mentioning right now, looking at, again, and I wrote about this for, for the site yesterday, that I'm liking the way the offense is looking, right? There, it, there's a little bit more flow to it. Um, Doc has, and we'll get into Doc in a second here, but changing up the rotations, you know, getting Tyrese Maxey out there. He's talking about harping on having him and Shake out there together because they're able to push the pace so well. And, and we saw that, you know, there was a stretch yesterday. I think the Sixers were up seven going into the second, went on an immediate 7-0 run to extend that lead. As I mentioned before, the Clippers started to chip away at it, but that was an issue a lot of last season and the year before. It was like, hey, the starters got you a seven-point lead going into the second, and by the time they got back on, they were down by two. You know what I mean? So we're starting to see some differences here. But I wanted to ask you this. Looking at this 16-4 and four stretch, obviously it's encouraging regardless of who you play 
in the NBA, but only eight of those teams, eight of those wins have come against teams that are either in a playoff or play in position. Uh, a lot of those teams, you know, they beat Orlando in there, they beat Detroit. When you're looking at this squad now, and I think we're starting to see the Sixers become the team, I think that that people expected earlier in the season. But again, you're looking at the top of that Eastern Conference. Obviously, Giannis has been out for a little while. KD's out for another couple of weeks. And then you got Boston, the Celtics, who I think to everybody are still the cream of the crop in the NBA. Where do you put the Sixers right now? Do you think they have another level that they they can still really keep on ascending to get up there and be like, hey, they are legitimate. Right now, we look at them and say, they could win a championship. Things got to go right, but they could win a championship. But they're not at that level yet that people are looking at them and saying, hey, they're coming. Like that, that Brooklyn stretch where they won 12 in a row, the Nets did. It was like, oh man, you know, these guys have figured it out. Are we going to start seeing that talk with the Sixers? Or do you think they still have to reach a couple more, you know, reach more heights in, until they get there? Hmm. Well, I, it's, oh man, I don't want to sound like a guy who like, I don't want to sound like a sour grapes person, but there is something to, there are a lot of people who in the national media who don't care for Joel Embiid, who don't care for James Harden. Mm -hmm. I think that's not a secret. I don't think I'm saying anything that's crazy. Um, so I think that it, there's some people who maybe don't quite believe in both of those players. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Um, but I think from the Sixer standpoint, I get it locally because fans have just been burnt so many times. Every time they want to believe in this team, something horrible happens. I mean, that's not even that's and again, I'm not even exaggerating there. It's just the truth. Every time, you know, they get the one seed and they get it, they have a perfect path to, to get into the finals. And then they lose the Atlanta Hawks in seven games, a, a team like quite frankly, that they clearly should have beaten. Uh, they should have beaten that Hawks team. Um, and they didn't Let's not talk about that for, series right now, but I think, but that's, that's what I'm saying. I think a lot of people still hold on to those things uh, or, you know, or hold on to last year with, with health wise, like some people just are, are convinced Joel Embiid will never be healthy enough to get through a playoff. And it's not, you know, it, he hasn't been frankly so far yet. So I get those concerns and, you know, James Harden also like, you know, yes, he, he had success with the Rockets, but he's never made the finals. Um, and that's a part of it too. I mean, it, but the only thing I've read the files is, as a, as a, as a star, as a starting well, sure, star, right? right. Correct. I, I feel like we always forget about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. No, no, no. With OKC. Yes. I vividly remember that series, but um, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's hard to, to, for some people to kind of get past all those things and, and that I understand. And I, I, to, to some of like what Jackson was saying too, I think, and I, I guess you could make this argument for either case for saying like, there is another level because I don't think they've played their best basketball on either end of the floor quite yet. Um, but at the same time, they have, they have to do it right. Like they have to get to that level and some things have to happen for them to get to that level. So uh, I, the fact that they've been able to do this and they're just really now, I mean, over the last couple of weeks, just starting to get healthy. Right. I mean, Maxi still like this, that was probably the best Maxi game we've seen since he's been back as far as mm -hmm. like hitting, you know, making those that, that, that three barrage he had to start the fourth and then finishing at the rim, which he had been struggling with over the, the couple uh, the previous couple games. Um, you know, Tobias Harris now, like he looked, he's looked excellent. I thought in the second half of that Lakers game and then uh, most pretty much the entire Clippers game because it was his former team. So of course he did. Um, but I, I think there is an argument to be made that they do have another level to hit. And I, Jackson, the one thing you said, and like, I totally agree. Like it, it's, like you do want more from Joel Embiid sometimes defensively because you know it's there because he literally like that was his beginning of his career. All he talked about was being defensive player of the year. And like, that wasn't a crazy thing. I think he was a finalist at least once 
uh, for defensive player think, of the year. I so, think uh, Simmons' rookie year, I think he was second behind Gobert yeah. in that 17-18 season. So he like that's that's the potential of that he has on that end of the floor. But because he's taken on such a prominent role offensively, I think he's trailing Luca by like point two points for the for the league leading in scoring right now. Like because of that, I think he does kind of not. I guess coast is the only word I could use. He coasts a little bit on some possessions because because of that. I'll say this though too: uh, the the two highlight reel defensive plays he made last night, the one where he made that horrible pass and Powell chased Powell down the other end and, and wiped the shit out of the shot. Like that's pretty funny. It's, it's almost then, like he wanted that. It's almost like he yes. didn't care about the offensive possession. Right. And he just wanted a chase down. It's almost what it um, felt like. But then late in the game too, he gets a switch on, on Terrence Mann, and Terrence Mann thinks he's got a mismatch and he did not have a mismatch in him. He swats that into the seat. So um, I, I think the big thing though, especially with the Powell block, I don't know that I've ever seen Joel Embiid run up and down the floor as much as he has this year. I think part of that is just he's more physically capable of doing that because he's in better shape. Um, we talked a lot about him getting like a world-class dietitian a couple of years ago and, you know, really actually paying attention to his health and what he puts into his body, and how he takes care of his body. So I think that's part of it. The other thing is too, I think, I think James Harden has invigorated him a little bit because he knows if he has those opportunities where he does run down the other end of the court and ha- gets a really good seal on a small player, Harden's getting him the ball. Like 100 out of 100 times, Harden is going to get him the ball. So I think that's kind of, um, again, to borrow that phrase, has kind of emboldened him to do that more and more. Uh, so that's, I, I, and I think too, you, you talked to Jazz about like the vibes and, and all that. I, I think, I think they're genuinely having fun. Like I think James Harden is actually genuinely having fun playing basketball. And I think for a while he wasn't. Uh, clearly, when he was with the Nets, he was not having a lot of fun, which is why he ran up in Philadelphia. And then at the end of his time last year, he clearly wasn't having fun. He was hurt, and the way they kind of went out in that playoff series was was not fun for anyone involved. So, um, yeah, I, I you know you mentioned Boston. Yeah, they're the cream of the crop. They're so deep. They're so talented. I, I it's they, they are like you until someone actually beats them. That's they're they're the, they're the team to beat. Like they really truly are. But. I see no reason why they can't hang at the top of the conference with Milwaukee, with Brooklyn, even if Brooklyn gets healthy. I think they are right there in the thick of things, and I don't want to forget to forget about the Cleveland Cavaliers who are having a damn good season and have a lot of talent. The only thing against them right now is youth, um, but everything else, uh, and maybe depth. They probably don't have the, maybe as, as much depth as, as some of the other squads. They did get Rick, Ricky Rubio back, though. But, um, yeah, I, I think the Sixers are right in the thick of things when you're talking about the Eastern Conference. Can they catch the Celtics? I don't know about that, but I think they're going to hang with the Milwaukee's and with the Brooklyn's for the rest of the year for sure. Yeah, Paul. And if I, I could just, uh, if I could just follow yeah, up on the Embiid point, I think, like, I think he definitely takes a decent amount of plays off defensively. But to me, like, I think a lot of times people are like, oh, it's because of his workload. Like his workload offensively is so big. To me, I almost think of it like he's like, okay, you go score two, I'll just score two on the other end. You know, like that's that's how I almost see is that. And I think what the hope would be that James Harden has made his life a lot easier offensively because he doesn't have to create as much for himself that, you know, in the playoffs or in a key game against another, you know, number two or three seed contender that he's going to turn it up a little bit, right? Because his offensive, like his usage is the highest thing it's ever been, but I don't think like physically it's as taxing, right? Like to have to get the ball in the left block and, you know, back down four times, then take three dribbles. It's a lot harder to do than it is run a pick and roll, saunter to the free throw line and hit a jumper, right? That's just physically easier on you. So the, I think the hope if you're a Sixers optimist is that like, okay, maybe Joel isn't, you know, as sharp every single game or play defensively, 
but it's not because of a regression in talent. It's because that like he's so confident in what he can do offensively. He's going to go get you 38 a game on 55% shooting. So I think that would be because of the point of optimism. But but yeah, I think it's you know Derek Bodner. I think in a good column or maybe tweet or something today that like the Sixers I think are seventh in defense and tenth in offense. But I don't think like they've ever quite aligned those things yeah. together. Like right like since Harden got back, you know they, I think they've been second or third in offensive rating, but like. 10th in defense and then the last month they've been like 23rd or something in defense so like that's the thing coming out that we've, we've seen it but like they need to merge these things and that's and if you see it over the next you know three months that's where you really feel good i think about this team moving into the playoffs I, yeah. i'd say to joel Embiid in that back-to-back he definitely uh he knew that was a back-to-back you know what i mean I, I think that is that was pretty apparent. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I, I, I want to ask you guys this too because I, I picking up on this watching Joel this season. I mean, still every time he falls down or somebody rolls into his leg, you kind of hold your breath for a second. Hopefully, it's not anything serious. But I'm finding him taking smarter shots, and I don't know if that's a result of of having Harden with him. But you know, he's he's taking a lot of mid range jumpers. Just basically, like against Zubak yesterday, it was like anytime he wanted to elevate over him and shoot, he could. And they're about the same size, so it's not like you know. Um, he has a massive, you know, advantage in terms of being six inches taller. He's just able to take smarter shots. And uh, Jackson, I wanted to ask you this too. Looking around the the NBA and looking at the the reemergence of the big man, right? We kind of saw that phased out uh, in terms of back to the basket play. Obviously, you're going to have to have this this perimeter um, dimension to your game if you're you're not looking at guys like Patrick Ewing, David Robinson, Hakeem Olajuwon, Shaq. Obviously, in his heyday, was a different animal altogether. But you're watching these guys play. Um, taking advantage of size, taking advantage of, of playing on the block. When you look at like the NBA as a whole, do you think we're going to start to see that again, where seven footers are kind of focusing, not just on being, I want to be a seven foot perimeter player. There has to be that aspect to your game that you're able to hit open threes. You're able to pick and pop. But do you think we're going to start to see a shift to it? Because again, Embiid, when he wants to, I, watching him play this season, it's like he could score 40 anytime he wants to if he gets enough shots. Yeah, I think, you know, Embiid had that really awesome, he had like that super casual play in the second, I think in the first half, maybe this early second half, where like he went coast to coast and hit like a little like quick turnaround over Zubov on the baseline. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. that's become so commonplace. But like if he would have done that two or three years ago, and this isn't to say he wasn't great back then, but like if he would have done that two or three years ago, it probably would have been a highlight by six different Sixers accounts, right? Like he's just done that so often the last couple of years that you're like, oh yeah, oh, um, he went 84 feet and hit a turnaround jumper over his another seven footer. Um, but I do think size is really, really important these days. Um, like I said earlier, like just walked in the last few years, I, I do think like having two legit rim protectors is really key to a viable playoff team. It doesn't mean you have to win defense first. Like, I mean, you look at a team like the Nuggets, you know, their, their title hopes are about like an okay defense and a, an incredible offense, right? But if you're going to be a, a team that's like, okay, we're going to rest our laurels on our defense, you have to have two of those guys. You look at Draymond Green, Kevon Looney, Brooke Lopez, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, um, you know, AD and LeBron, you know, the year they won the bubble, um, you know, obviously like then Bogut and Draymond and, and KD and Draymond and, and Looney and those years, like you just have to have two guys who can incredibly help you deter and affect shots in the paint. And then offensively, like you can be big and you can like, there are, st- there are still utility and rim runners and stuff like that. But if you're going to be like a focal point offensive, I think you have to have that off the dribble game, right? You know, whether it's a KD, a Jokic, a Luka, a Tatum, Embiid, like you can't just necessarily be a, a back to the basket guy. And Embiid's talked about that, right? Like after the bubble, he refined his offensive game because like and the funny thing is like Embiid was 
good in that series. I think he averaged like 30 on 60% true shooting. To me, it was like that was more a case where like the defense wasn't particularly good for him because he was doing so much offensively. But he, you know, he's talked about multiple times that, you know, I wanted to make myself more playoff ready, you know, have more of a face game, have more of an off dribble game. So, like, I think size is completely something that still is really important in the NBA in different ways. But offensively, at least, if you're going to be a, you know, let's say six, eight or taller, six, seven or taller, let's include Luca, Luca there. Like you have to have the ability to dribble, and it can be at a different degrees. Obviously, like Luca and and Bede aren't dribbling in the exact same way because they're you know four to five, six different you know inches apart. But like you have to have that dimension to your game. You have to be a good passer. So um, it's just about adding those perimeter skills with you know the advantage that comes with your size. You know, we see Luca post up more than he ever has this year. We see Jokic do it. We see you know Giannis has improved his face up game in the last few years. Embiid so. Um, just things like that, I, I think, are, are the the real key here, and and yeah, I think like you know, just size size is still going to be key, but it, it's it's evolving in, in what we value from size and kind of the the key traits that make you a really really good player. You know, that's wing or center sized. All right, let's take a break here, fellas. Going to jump into some more Sixers talk. Also, give our predictions for NFL divisional round. The Eagles in it. Jackson and I are big Niners fans. We'll jump into that coming up in about a minute. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Yeah, and I, I honestly have enjoyed just watching Joel's uh, growth, watching the way he's added these elements to his game. Like like you mentioned there, Jackson, I mean, it, it is almost with ease. This guy's able to just do what he wants. And it's like, it doesn't matter what you do against him. And, and Paul, I want to jump to you for this. Looking at Doc Rivers, right? And and again, we've talked enough about Doc that, you know what I mean? We've, we've shared our feelings. We've said he, he makes mistakes. And who knows if if this little run is going to sustain maybe his old habits catch up with him in the playoffs. I think a lot of people are relying on that. But to give him credit, 
for once here on the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network <laughs> that uh, he's doing, he's made some adjustments, right? He's not afraid to try new things in terms of uh, bringing Maxi off the bench. He's talked about this openly over the past couple of games where, hey, I, we are going to try different lineups. We're going to look at who our opponent is. We're going to adjust our game plan according to that. And I actually asked him yesterday at the post game about uh, what the team needs to do better and, and what he wants to do differently. And he's looking at it, I go, because you guys are obviously playing great. You've won 16 to 20. You're doing something right. But the way he, he's looking at this right now is, hey, we're going to make a job. Even if we know that if uh, Joel's going to get trapped, as soon as we give him the ball in the high post, we're still going to run that play because we know what the counter is now. And you're starting to see maybe the mind mindset shifting and uh, him kind of growing in that way. What do you think of the job he's done so far? Again, keeping this team at 12 and 12 at that time where you're missing Harden, you're missing Maxi. He does a good job when he doesn't have the stars. We've seen that. We saw that last year for that stretch. But when he, they've been able to have basically all hands on deck, we've seen his team struggle. Well, not the case anymore. So when you're looking at the job Doc has done, where do you think he's made changes? And do you anticipate him sustaining these throughout the rest of the regular season and into the playoffs? Well... <laughs> uh, i'll start no I, I start with this everybody like like when they when they lose and when things are bad everyone piles on doc that's like the easy thing to do um jackson you and i know that that slack channel <laughs> we we become like reluctant doc defenders at times in that slack channel. but like but so the so to to that extent, if you're going to blame him for everything when they lose and you got to give him like yeah. this much credit when they yeah. win, right? He's got to get credit for something. Uh, I, I think the biggest thing I give him credit for is not having too much rigidity in his rotation. Like to start the year, Matisse Thibel was not and Shake Milton were not in the rotation or Shake was like maybe like on the very, very outskirts of it. Uh, Clearly, Darren Morey signed Daniel House to be in the rotation. He's, they signed him to be like their top wing off the bench. And quite frankly, he's underperformed. He, he hasn't been good enough. Uh, when guys went down and guys got hurt, Shake Milton played tremendous. He was great. I mean, he was averaging like 20 and 10 uh, during that little stretch there. And he was great. He played really, really well. He earned the right to play more minutes. Uh, Mitzi Seibel, again, was not in the rotation to start the season. He's forced Doc's hand where he's played, he's outplayed a Daniel House and he, he's earned the minutes. So I, I give Doc credit for not just saying, like, and it felt, I got to be honest, at the beginning of the season, I thought that was going to be the case. I thought he was just going to play House like hell or high water. Like, no, House is our guy. We're going to play him. Um, sort of like he's done with Montrez Harrell. Uh, but I thought that was, <laughs> that was yeah, that's, that's, a that's a different guy who was signed a little later in the, yes. in the um, <laughs> Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that's one area where, where I give him credit. And I think, too, it, it speaks a little bit to what I, we kind of already talked about with guys like buying in a little bit more than they have in the past and maybe in their other stops in their careers, or even like, you know, like James Harden playing like defense and like playing at like a, a, a decent level at times. That wasn't always the case. And so like part of it is like he's buying in. He thinks he's got a shot to win, and he knows if he pitches in a little bit on that end of the floor, it can make a difference. Um, you look at Tobias Harris and the way he's elevated his game on that end of the floor, um, where he was a very big minus to where he's now at most nights, now at, at worst, like neutral um, to sometimes pretty good. So I think he has managed egos pretty well. I think that's something that's that's probably the one thing that when they – brought him on as head coach, they kind of envisioned, right? Like that's the one thing they looked at and they said, 
all right, he can come and he can manage his egos. Now, with Ben Simmons, that did not work out very well at all. Uh, that also was a pretty outstanding circumstance that I don't think I've ever seen any, and we probably will never will see anything like that ever again with Ben Simmons and the Sixers and how all that went down. But since Harden has been here, since Embiid has gotten here, I think, you know, the the, the management of personalities has been pretty good. I, I think, the, again, the vibes are very good. And I, I I think he's shown some trust in some guys. I think he's empowered some guys to 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 do to kind of star in the roles and do more. And I think all of those things are, are what he's done for the positive. Now, I mentioned Montrezl Harrell. That's like my biggest concern is, and I don't Jackson. To your point, I don't know that Paul Reed is the perfect solution for that either. I if I I would also wing would probably be at the top of my wish list, but backup center is pretty darn close, and I think there could be players to be had that they wouldn't cost an exorbitant amount to, to get. Uh, so, you know, and, and a player that doc would play over Harold, you would hope. So I, 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 I'll say that for the most part, I think the, 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 the rigid, the lack of rigidness in his rotations, the fact that he's been willing to adjust and play guys different minutes. I still think James Harden is playing too many minutes. I still think maybe Joel B is playing a little too many minutes. I think, I do worry, although Tucker was very good against the Clippers, I am worried about his health and his, you know, dead hand and all that. And maybe he needs a little bit of a break. But um, yeah, I, I think, again, when, when a coach gets a lot of blame for when things are going south, you got to give him just just a just a scotch of credit when, when things are going well. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and I, I, I again, I wrote that in the in the piece that I wrote last night is is basically. Um, you got to give him credit too, right? We, we've, we've crapped on him and said, hey, he's, he stays too stubborn with his rotation, stubborn with the game plan, um, showing that he has the ability, at least, whether that's Sam Cassell, Dave Yeager, so other members of his staff being in his ear more, who knows, but we are seeing that. Jackson, I want to get your thoughts on, on Doc so far too. Are you, do you think that he could sustain this? And, and again, are we going to be talking about this in April or May and being like, man, Doc sucks. You know what I mean? <laughs> what did they do this for? So what are your thoughts on the job uh, Doc has done so far at the 44 game mark of the season? Yeah, I think Paul brings up some good points. And I think, you know, kind of similar to that, what he's done well, what Doc has done well, um, is be flu with that fifth star. That's a, literally a trait going back to his very first game as head coach when he closed with Shake Milton over the Washington Wizards during the, you know, the COVID riddled year. Um, but, you know, the last, what, three or four games, they've had a different fifth clo closer. I know they emptied the bench against the Clippers, but, you know, it was PJ on Tuesday. It was, it was, it was a Mac. George D, I think. on yeah, George on. Yeah, and then Maxie or, or Melton or somebody against uh, against the Jazz as well. So um, that's what I think he's done well, and it's also testament to the to the players, right? It, it can't necessarily be easy to, you know, maybe one night Doc or whoever is going to tell you that, you know, with six minutes to go, go back in there, or maybe he's not. So I think it's a credit to them. And But where I do think Doc really does still struggle is, is matching his lineups, which I think is a little different rotations to the other team has on the floor. Like, they basically lost that first game to the Pelicans because he didn't mirror Joel's minutes to uh, to Zion. I mean, Zion just crushed them in the Herald minutes. And maybe that's also a, an issue with, you know, the the team as a whole. Like I mentioned, they only have one room protecting the rotation. And maybe it's something where Joel, like, Joel likes his rotations as they are. He likes to know when he's going out of the game and coming back in. Um, so maybe it's something they have to work on together. But then, like I said, against against the the Lakers, they, they put – they put Joel on Thomas Bryant and LeBron just bullied his way to the rim for a bunch of buckets against the jazz. I didn't send late help against Clarkson and let him get to where his spots. So it's just things like that where I just like, I just wonder kind of 
what it what they're watching like like what goes what and i don't even just kind of saying what's like i just i just want to know like why they do what they do and it because it's not necessarily when i watch like what i would do and again like doc has a wealth of more experience than me in these things but it's also not hard to see yeah maybe you should mirror zion and Embiid's minutes when zion is averaging you know 49 points per 36 minutes when joel is off the floor um and so for that for that reason, I can't buy Doc as a guy who's going to enhance the the play their title aspirations. And it's just it's just hard to watch because like it's just it's like I think on the year I'd probably give him like a B minus or so, which is like okay. Yeah. I think that's probably maybe about the, the caliber of coach he is compared to you know across the NBA. Um, like I said, he's done some good things, good things, but there's just it just feels like they often lose some minutes because of the decision Doc makes. Not he's not solely responsible, like players still play. But he doesn't necessarily put them in the best positions against, you know, you know the the opposition, and you know, like it, it feels like at times he's almost like he goes to that two three with Harrell basically every time he's in the game. And I get it, Montrez is too small and too static and drop coverage to to play man. But then why don't you go to the other backup center who's actually a really good pick and roll defender, and you wouldn't have to play zone, and you wouldn't have all these big rebounding issues. So it's stuff like that where it's like, yeah, maybe your personnel is limited at times, but you're not helping things whatsoever so yeah i i definitely i think the the points that paul made are good and he has to doc has done some good things but on the whole i still find myself frustrated with some of the decisions that that doc makes i do think they've they've hurt the team you know to to a detriment at at various points of the year and it's weird too that he just uh, like he was and i thought it was the right way he was doing it where he was Going with Paul Reed when Paul Reed was going right or when the matchup was right, and then he was using Montrez. You know, he was he was it was fluid, and I think it was better when it was fluid. Even though I know they've won some, they, you know, they they played well during the stretch, but I think it was better when it was fluid and and you know he wasn't just giving Montrez the minutes every night. And like last night, like clearly against Clippers, he really really struggled. He was not very good. Was not very good against the Lakers either, or really the Jazz. I mean, he really has not played very well the last few games. So why not go to Paul Reed in the second half of one of these games just to try to switch things up to your point or even try PJ Tucker at the five or something. Do something like the and Clippers if, were a, a, are a pretty small team when Zubach is off the floor. So maybe try something a little different. And if you're going to play Harold for 14, 15 minutes, like at least tie all those minutes to hard. Like, hard we, yeah. like, like I, I, I was looking at PBP stats is a really good job. You can like uh, you can look at like what a player, what a team's net rating is, you know, when certain player combinations are out there and like, they're way better with, with Harrell and Harden's out there. I think some of it is like some opponent shooting luck, but like just like conceptually, it's easy to understand why Harrell, a very good pick and roll finisher and, and, you know, a good screener would play well with a really good pick and roll operator versus, you know, Maxi who's still kind of learning the nuances of pocket pass shake. who doesn't have quite the same level of ball screen craft that Harden does and maybe better in kind of those one-on-one ISO mismatch, you know, things when he's creating on the ball. So yeah, just stuff like that. Really. Like, yeah, it's like I get if you want to play Harrow, but like at least put him in the proper situations if you're going to play him. Like at least make it so he's conducive to the most success possible, and you can you can maximize his finishing and rolling and all that. Well, Jackson, I wasn't going to say you give Doc a B minus. That's a hell of a lot. Great point, better grade point average than me in, in high school and college. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, he must be doing something right. But uh, going back to the backup center spot, and we quickly want to touch on this uh, before we start to wrap things up. Uh, you're looking at the underlying numbers of Sixers: three point one. 
points better per 100 possessions with Montrez on the floor. Uh, minus 6.1 net rating for Paul Reed. You know, maybe they're looking at some of the, the, the data, but I'm with you guys too. Paul Reed did, brings this dimension where super active is a decent rim protector, uh, good offensive rebounder. So again, what Harold gives you plays below the rim, not a great rim protector, but obviously a, a tough guy and, 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 you know, we'll go out there and bang a little bit, but I'm with you guys. They got to figure out that spot. It seems like we've been talking about that forever too. And we'll see with the deadline coming up now. Less than entire career. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll see if they're able to do, uh, let's wrap things up here. Paul, as you mentioned, you're dealing with a couple of West Coast guys. I, me and Jackson, I think we could both say this. We're going for the Niners, right? All the way through, through, the, through the, <laughs> the NFC playoffs here. You know that too. <laughs> so let's let's wrap things up with the NFL. Obviously, the birds are the talk of the town in Philly. Uh, always have been, always will be when it comes to fandom. You're looking at that uh, game against the Giants. What's your prediction for not only that game, but the rest of the NFL ones? Uh, yeah, definitely like the Eagles. Um, it's so funny that the, the, oh, it's so hard to beat a team three times. That's completely not true. Um, especially <laughs> if you look, I think it, 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 like home teams are like 16 and four in this case when they play a team for the third time. So that narrative is just, yeah, the Niners just did it last week. Niners, anyway. yeah, 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 exactly. They, they, exactly. they rattled the Seahawks. <laughs> right. Uh, well, that was a game until uh, they just, the Seahawks, the third half, the second apart. half, they just yeah. killed them. Oof. Well, Seahawks didn't fall apart. The Niners just killed them in the second half. Come on. I mean, that was, yeah, <laughs> okay. that was just a difference. Between <laughs> the Niners are a great team. I'm not taking yeah. anything away from them, but the Seahawks, I mean, Genos, I was just, they drove right down the field and then fumbled and then just yeah, that's, that's a bunch of penalties. They just they melted point, down. Yeah. That's but yeah, but was, that's yeah. what that's what a good team does is when another team makes mistakes, they pounce all over it and make them pay. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely like the Eagles on Saturday night. Um, I just think they're too talented and too good, and they've had too good of a year. I think they're gonna the the I think Hertz is healthier, and I think they're gonna they're, they'll be just fine. Um, what little worried about Lane Johnson because he's literally gonna play with a tear in his is growing. That's sounds awful as an offensive lineman yeah. really, or as any human I being, couldn't, I, I couldn't record um, a podcast with the tear in my groin. So I wouldn't <laughs> exactly. yeah. um, this guy's about to, this guy's about to block a bunch of NFL pass rushers, but no. So I feel pretty good about that. Um, yeah. And I definitely like the Niners over the Cowboys. Um, even though the Cowboys, I think are a pretty damn good team, but I still think, uh, you know, that I think to what I just talked about, I think that I could see the Cowboys making some mistakes and the Niners just are just, a mistake-free football team, and they make you pay every time you make one. And their offense, with especially now with Christian McCaffrey, they just have so many weapons and so many ways to beat you. Um, and then their defense is also super ridiculously <laughs> dominant, especially on the front front end, um, the front seven. Paul, stop trying point. to stop trying to jinx them. You're talking too good about them. Okay, get, get to the rest <laughs> oh, of the game. Get, get to the other two games. No, the, 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 the Eagles, <laughs> the Eagles, Niners fans can can be in an alliance for one more week. There's, yeah, there's, yeah. <laughs> we can butt, we can butt heads at this time next week. But for now, yeah. we're we're still on the same page here. Um, I can't even, I can't even think right now of the other of the yeah, AFC Casey Jacksonville, Casey Jacksonville, uh, Jacksonville yeah, yeah, Buffalo and Cincy. Uh, I. Uh, I like KC, although that's going to be a lot of fun for us Eagles fans with uh, Andy Reid and Doug Peterson facing off. That's <laughs> very, very enjoyable, and I hope it's a really good game and they get a nice big hug at the end. Um, I am actually pulling for Doug. I, I can't lie, uh, and, I, and I, I have nothing but love for Andy Reid at this point. I think if you're an Eagles fan and you don't, you're an idiot, um, but I, I'm definitely pulling for Doug. It would be cool to see him get them, uh, after, especially after the Urban Meyer mess. He just completely changed the entire fate of the organization. Um Man, the Cincy Buffalo game is really tough. Uh, I think I like Cincy. I think I like Cincy. It's because I it's I love Joe Burrow. I think Joe Burrow is <laughs> so goddamn good. Um, and but I say that, but man, the the Cincinnati Bengals secondary frightens me. Uh, their safe their <laughs> cornerback play frightens me very very much. But yeah, I'm gonna take Cincy in a very close, very good game. 
What about you, Jackson? Let's get your, your picks from around the, uh, the four games in the, in the NFL. Yeah, I think I think Paul, you know, had had, had the same picks as Paul. I'm not going to pretend to be some, you know, football yeah, football uh, analyst or anything like that. But yeah, I just I think Kansas City's too good. I, I like Cincy as well. They've been playing well. I think the the Bills are a little banged up. I know that they both played a close game against a division team, uh, you know, at home. But I, like the way the Dolphins have been struggling without Tua, I feel like you know, just my amateur lens gives me it tells me that the Bengals have a bit of a leg up there. Even if that was the most ridiculous swing of events with that with that 98 yard fumble return to give them the win um and then like the niners uh, of course but like you know i agree the the cowboys are are quite good and you know Dak for some of his mistakes uh is generally a pretty pretty dang good quarterback uh and then yeah the eagles they just think i saw some i think mina kimes had some good tweet today that said like the jalen hurts has been really good against cover one this year and the giants run a ton of cover one I couldn't tell you what cover one looks like, but I trust me. I trust me as analysis. So uh, assuming Jalen Hurts is back to his MVP caliber, I think that's that's a leg up for them for sure. But yeah, I, I think we're going to be looking at the you know, one vert. We're going to look at a rematch of last in the AFC and uh, maybe a sign of things to come uh, moving forward with a couple of pretty young teams. I know that you know the Niners have a little more, a few more guys in their prime, but uh, could be you know a sign of a couple of the top teams in the NFC for years to come. Hopefully for for all of our sakes. But uh, yeah, I think yeah. it's going to be Eagle, <laughs> Eagles Niners next week and and Bill or Bengals uh, Chiefs. All right. Well, I'm going to come from a gambling standpoint. Uh, if, I, if, I, if, I, if our <laughs> sister site, the DraftKings, wants to go ahead and, and kick some money my way, you know, no problem. We could we could sponsor this segment too. Uh, looking at the lines, follow my picks if you want to lose some money this week. I think the Chiefs are gonna are gonna beat down the Jags. I think they win that one by like 20 plus. Uh, bad matchup for for Jacksonville. Eagles Giants. The line is seven and a half. I'm going to take the Giants to cover Eagles to win. I think they'll get a backdoor. They'll be up by 14, and they'll maybe <laughs> it get is a, a big line cover there. It's I'll a huge that. line, yeah. I, I think the I think for, the, for the Giants game will be the able to. Big line. Yeah, yeah, and I I think that they'll be able to cover that. Although I do expect the Eagles to win in the AFC. I'm taking Buffalo to cover the five and a half. The Bengals' offensive line is extremely banged wow. up. They're without their left tackle, so I'm going to take Buffalo to cover there. And that Niners game. Saying this as a Niners fan, I will tell you, Jackson. I hope I, you know because obviously we can connect on this. And never mind Paul here for the next thirty seconds because his team is going to win for sure. Um, the Cowboys scare me for the fact that the Niners' defense. The one thing they are susceptible to is getting beat over the top. DK Metcalf did, Metcalf did a great job of it last week. So I'm a little bit scared with that. The, the Cowboys do have, obviously, um, C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup, uh, T.Y. Hilton now do it, doing his thing. I, I like the way Pollard plays. So I think they're going to keep it close. And their defense is nasty, right? I mean, Paul, you got to see him a couple of times this year. Uh, Michael Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence Parsons. They're going to they're gonna run some stuff that is going to get to Purdy. I just hope he's able to kind of keep composing and, and keep control. But I, I think that's going to be a field goal game with, with the Niners winning so there are my picks you can uh, sign up for my uh my uh my gambling site at uh, jazz can gambling I'm just messing with you guys now you can't do that I don't <laughs> have that but uh um yeah I think it's you know what here's one thing with the NFL uh, you know but we'll wrap up here but one thing with the NFL compared to the NBA the gambling aspect of it is just so huge right you know what I mean and, and you're trying to see people take advantage of it the more states that start legalizing it the bigger it's going to be but I think we're all we're all looking forward to to watching the games I'm with you guys I want to have a Niners Eagles NFC championship next weekend we'll be doing the, the stream again next Wednesday so we can talk some shit uh to each other about it but uh and hopefully the Sixers keep on winning um let's wrap it up here guys we've, we've been going almost some, about an hour uh obviously I want to thank you guys for joining me i'll do a great job writing for the site uh paul doing the podcast and jackson whenever you're on with us and and, and around the network as well so i want to thank you both for that uh let's wrap things up there mr paul Audric, thanks for joining us you got it
No, no sign off, no salute. Thank you, thank you. Come okay. on, Paul, you're gonna be better than that. <laughs> you got it. Thanks, man. Hey, <laughs> and uh, uh, Mr. Jackson Frank, thank you for joining us as well. Yeah, of course. All right, you guys, that was a boring sign off. All right, that's it. We'll wrap <laughs> this one up here. Don't forget, subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us wherever you get your fix. And as I mentioned, Paul Hedrick, Jackson Frank, Sean Kennedy, Dave Early, I can go down the line, a bunch of great, great writers uh, for us as well at libertyballers.com. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.